All right, hallelujah. So, um, yeah, we're continuing this uh, sermon series on developing your sense of call. Hallelujah. How many of you guys have been blessed by this sermon series? Uh, I've been blessed, hallelujah. Uh, just some good uh, words that I feel like God is uh, really uh, putting together and revealing. And I believe it is strengthening this church at this hour and all those who are tuning in through the podcast. And, uh, and hallelujah, you know, there's, there's all these random people that, that email me who I've never met. And they're, they're just telling me that they're tuning into the podcast uh, and they are getting really uh, blessed. They can sense the spirit of our church just through your amens and through your laughter. Hallelujah. You can sense that uh, there's a good thing that God's doing here. And praise God that we're, we're a blessing to the nations. Amen? So the first message on this sermon series on developing your sense of call was called? First things first. Amen. Hallelujah. And one of the key uh, principles we want to keep in mind is that God is more concerned of who you're becoming than what you can do for him. It's important character and who you are becoming is very important to God. Our second sermon in the series was called? All right, getting under authority. Hallelujah. And, and it's so important for the people of God to get under authority. Because God uses men and women on this earth. To establish his authority. Because he establishes that rule in the hearts of men. And whether men follow that rule perfectly or not. He is establishing that authority. And, it, and he's doing it through grace. Hallelujah. And so in that pattern we must learn to get under authority. Or else your life will be a... Uh, you, the call of God will be a mystery in your life. And last week we looked at the third sermon series in the series. And that was called... The testing of your faith. Everyone say test. Test. The testing of your faith. Hallelujah. And um, we saw how God tested Abraham. And and God didn't do it just for the sake of testing him. But it was truly to develop his sense of call to what God was about to do. Not just in Abraham's life, but in the lives of his generation, of his offspring. That sense of call was not only established in Abraham's life, but it was established in his offspring. So that even when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, that story was told over and over again. And the people of Israel, they had a sense of call. Hallelujah. Uh, Praise the Lord. And so today we're continuing that. And uh, all we're going to do is look over a couple chapters later. After God tested Abraham, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 24. And the next message in the series is called Finding Marriage in the Mundane. Now, my focus is on the mundane, not on the marriage. But uh, it seems like the media team got excited about the marriage. That's okay. Get excited about the marriage because there's something prophetic happening with that, especially with Pastor Sam decreeing all kinds of things last week. Look with me in Genesis chapter 24. All right. And can I just say, for all the leaders in here, bring your ESV copy to the church on Sunday. Okay. The sermon, the, the Bible passage that gets put up on PowerPoint is not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of our guests. Okay. For you, as a leader of this church, you bring your sword. You don't ever leave that at home. You mark up your own Bible. You look into your own version of the Bible that you carry around, you use for Bible study. Everyone got that? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. And if the guests want to join in with that, go get yourself a copy of the ESV. Hallelujah. All right. Let's look at Genesis chapter 24, starting from verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's a good, that's a good word right there. That's a sermon right there. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, hallelujah, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, 
among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. Now let's pause right there. We read last week about God telling Abraham, Go to the mountain and sacrifice your son, whom you love, in the place that I show you. Right? And we, we saw how God tested Abraham's faith in order to deepen Abraham's sense of call. And, and, and like I said, this will not only go to deepen the sense of call for Abraham, but for all his offspring. Hallelujah. And um, by the time we get to chapter 4, uh, Abraham has been through so much. And, and he's given up so much and paid too high a cost to get where he's at. That he not only knows that God wants him there in the land of Canaan, but he has a strong sense of call to that land. So it's one thing for you to know God's plans. It's another thing to have a sense of call to those plans. And you see, by this time in chapter 24, Abraham has a strong, immovable sense of call to this land of Canaan. Hallelujah. And so what, what he does is he makes it clear to his servant that going back to his hometown is not an option. Even in finding a, a wife for his son Isaac, it is not an option. All right. Hallelujah. And when God calls you to somewhere or to some place, and then he confirms it, he tests you on it, and that you know that that's where you're supposed to be, brothers and sisters, it's important that you do not go back to the place from where you came. God made this lesson very clear to me in my call to Korea. You see, back in 2007, when I began to have feelings for Aaron, on April 3rd, <clears throat> I set apart one month to pray about her. That's what godly men do. <laughs> our little boys, they, they do all, they muncha and they harass her on Facebook and, 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 I am her. That's not the way to do it. You got to talk to God first. Hallelujah. Amen. Brothers, you need to step up. And um, so I set apart one month to pray for her. And while I was praying for her, I was also asking God what my next step should be. But because at that time, you see, one of the original reasons why I even came to Korea in 2005 was to help prepare for a global Korea Campus Crusade conference that was held in 2007. And so my work with that conference was drawing to an end. And although I felt a sense of call to Korea, I began to think maybe it makes more sense for me to just go back to New York and continue doing campus ministry. Because, I mean, I love New York City. That's where it's at. I mean, the first time I went to New York, I fell in love. Hallelujah. And, man, every time I go back, you know, I love being in the city. And all the staff, the students some of whom follow me here to Korea, hallelujah. No, no they follow God, hallelujah. But, uh, <clears throat> the staff, the students, um, my family, friends, they were, they were all in New York, and they were asking me, what are you going to do next? When are you going to come back to New York? When are you coming home to New York? And so I had these questions in my mind. So I, I was praying to God, asking for his discernment. And as my one month of prayer for Aaron was coming to an end, I was leaning toward not asking Aaron out. <gasps> and I was thinking through more scenarios of going back to New York. That was the honest truth. I mean, there was really nothing in terms of Korea Campus Crusade that, you know, that I was distinctly, that I could distinctly grab a hold of here in Korea. So I, I was start, starting to think, I need to go back to New York. And let me tell you, on April 29th, 2007, God gave me a very vivid dream. Let me share with you that dream. In the dream, I was hanging out at a building. And I was very happy. 
And I was pretty sure, you know, sometimes in dreams, you just, you're just like, sure. You're not, you're not, you're not, you don't know how you got the knowledge, but you have the knowledge. So in this dream, this building represented New York. And I was very happy. And then I got into a car and started driving down a road that somehow I knew that God wanted me on. But while I was driving down that road, I start to feel an urge to make a U-turn and go back to New York. Go back to the building. So I made a U-turn. And I started heading back down the road that I came. But when I drove back, the roads did not look familiar. And after a while, I was on top of a hill, driving down a slope into a valley. But it was very vivid. Because the valley was a cornfield. And this cornfield was completely dried out and dead. Very vivid. And because I was at the top of the slope, I could see the whole valley covered with corn. But it was dead corn. And as I was continuing down that road, the road disappeared. Then the next thing I know, the car disappeared. And I was rolling on some kind of skateboard on my belly. Going down this valley. And I was, I was eating all this dead corn in my mouth. Very vivid. Then I woke up. <laughs> April 29th, 2007. Now I asked God and contemplated a right interpretation for this dream. Hallelujah. How many of you know that God, when God gives a dream, God also gives you the interpretation. Amen. You got to go to him. He's the giver and he's the interpreter. Now, um, as I did that, I began to sense that God was wanting me not to go back to New York. And he had distinctly called me to Korea. And he was saying that after two years in Korea, things weren't coming to an end. It was just beginning. And so seven days later, through a prophetic word from my friend Hannah, and through the strong encouragement of my brother Jazz, God changed my mind about Aaron. And I came to a point where asking Aaron out was like the most natural thing I could do. And so I, I went ahead and just asked her out on the, on the first casual date. And shortly thereafter, I met with the president of Korea Campus Crusade here in Korea, Dr. Park. And he ended up encouraging me. I want you to stay in Korea. I didn't know you were open, but since you're open, I want you to stay in Korea. I'll, I'll talk to your New York director. I want you to stay in Korea. And so, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't have the best nunchi. You know, I don't, I don't have the uh, best sensitivity uh, to what God is saying in my life. So sometimes I just need God to bonk me on the head. Amen? Amen? So he did this with this dream. And so even if I still had this desire lingering to go back to New York, man, that dream just scared it out of me. God, if I go back to New York, are you telling me that everything is going to be unfamiliar? And that everything that I've been riding on is going to disappear? And I'm just going to have dead corn in my mouth? I don't want none of that. Hallelujah. <coughs> so, brothers and sisters, when God says, to your offspring I will give this land. When he says, I am taking you to the promised land. When he comes to you with these kinds of callings and blessings, do not go back to the place from where you came. You see, for people who do not have a strong sense of call, God may distinctly lead them somewhere. But at the first sign of hardship, you know what they do? They start making plans to go back. This is what the Israelites did. God distinctly through signs and wonders delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Brought them in to the desert and told them, I'm going to take you into the promised land. But because they did not have a strong sense of call, at the first sign of hardship, they started to make plans to go back. Brothers and sisters, this is a no-no. You see, Abraham here in verse 6, he has the right idea. What does Abraham say? See to it that you do not take my son back there. In other words, Abraham's like, no matter what happens, don't you dare take my son back to my hometown. Because God has called me to this land. 
and he will give it to me and my offspring. Abraham determined in his heart, he will not go back. He will follow the call of God all the way to the end. Hallelujah. And that's the kind of hearts that God's looking for these days. And you know what? Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. You know, the word of God, the message is not simply, do not go back. It's don't even look back. If God leads you somewhere, don't even look back. And this could, you know what, this could go for deliverance. If God is bringing you out of your life of drugs, if he's bringing you out of promiscuous relationships, if he's bringing you out of all kinds of bondage and slavery in which you are under, God says, don't go back there. In fact, don't even look back there. You see, do you remember the story of Lot and his family? Right? God brought these angels into the city of Yassam Gomorrah, and they were like, they were like, let's check out how wicked this city really is. You know, and then they and all the men of the city, you know, they did all kinds of nasty things. They tried to do nasty things to the angel, and then Lot protected them, and then and then the angels were just like, you know what? This is enough. We've seen enough. God's gonna bring down Fire and brimstone. You and your family and whoever you care about, you better take them and get out of this city as soon as possible. So, you know, Lot hesitated, but he finally, he started to make his way out. Those angels said, don't even look back. Don't even look back. And what did Lot's wife do? You know, she's like, yeah. yeah and she looked back, just, just, she looked back. And what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. God will turn you into a pillar of salt. <laughs> no, you know what? When I was a kid, I was deathly scared of that passage. Man, I just thought, man, I, 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 that put the fear of God in me. I was like, God, don't play. You put your hand to the pot, don't look back. Hallelujah. But that's, that's kind of the message we get from that story as well. God doesn't, when he calls you to somewhere, he knows the magnificent plans of God is going to be filled with some hardships, challenges, difficulty, even suffering. And when God starts leading you that way, he doesn't want you to ever look back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So that, that's, um, that's my bonus message. That's not my message. Hallelujah. And I'm just saying, since we're talking about a sense of call, uh, when you have that sense of God, don't you ever go back. Don't, don't eat. In fact, don't even look back. That's the bonus message right there. Hallelujah. Let's go back to the text here. Look at verse 10 through 12. Verse 10, it says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. Keep that in mind. There's ten camels. Taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Hallelujah. You see, this goes back to our first sermon in this series. You see, because Abraham was keeping first things first, his faith influenced his servants. Do you see that? Can I get an amen? amen. Look, look at how his servant here, this is evidenced by his servant's prayer. Where do you think this servant, who does not know God, where do you think he learned how to pray? Okay, from watching his master pray. Amen? amen. Hallelujah. That, that's, just, that's just a good word right there, you know. When you've got a strong sense of call and you're keeping first things first, you're going to influence those who are under you. Right, let's keep reading. Verse uh, 12 through 14, right? All right? Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Let's pause here. You see what his servant did here? Okay. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. This is called, Christians in Christianity, a lot of people call this fleecing. Fleecing. See, in, in, ju in Judges, Gideon did the same thing. 
Right? He took a, God was telling him, go out to battle and I will give you victory. And Gideon was never really led an army of people. So he was like, all right, well, I'll take this fleece. I'm going to put it out tonight. And if the fleece is wet and the ground around it is not, is dry, then I'll know that it's you. And so he wakes up in the morning and he finds it just as, yeah, he asked God. And, and he says, well, well, don't be angry with me, Lord. Let me just do it one more time. How about this time? I'll reverse it. This time the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. Right? Next morning, God did the same thing. Or it might have been the other way around. I don't remember. All right. But something with the fleece. So it's called fleecing. All right? Don't do this. This is a form of testing God. And the word of God says, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. It's forbidden. Okay. This is not in here to tell us, give us an example of how to pray. This is an example of how not to pray. And some of you might be asking, well, he was just asking for guidance. What's wrong with that? Okay. Let me tell you something. Guidance becomes fleecing when you choose the signs. But guidance is guidance when God chooses the signs. Amen? I'm just speaking to somebody today. You know, God, when he answers such requests, like for this servant here, he's doing it in his grace. But but God's not giving this as 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 a pattern for us to follow. This is something that he does in grace toward people who, have, who lack a deep relationship with God. Right? You know, come on, brothers. I know, I know some of y'all have done this. Right? Lord, if um, I'm going to I am Susan right now. And Susan normally doesn't reply back to my I am's. She usually takes about 10 minutes. But if on this day, Lord... She irons me back within seven minutes, then I will know that she is my wife. <laughs> Come on, y'all done something stupid, some kind of stupid sign like that. All of us have done something like that. Okay, this is called fleecing. Don't do this. Not healthy in your relationship with God. God will not commend you for this. All right. So let God choose the signs. If you really are serious, let God choose the signs. Like he did for my dream in the cornfields, right? God will speak to you. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading. Let's get, let's get to the main message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the meat right here. Look at verse 15. Behold, before the servant had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive. In appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. What was Rebecca doing on this day? What was she doing? Right, she's bringing this big old jar on her shoulder. Because by the way, if you do it like this, it's too heavy. So you got to get it on her shoulder. It's a big jar. What's she doing? Just filling up the jars. Just getting some water. What? What's she doing? She's doing mundane, routine, humble, humdrum things. Mundane. Everybody say mundane. 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 And what I'm here to preach to you today is God develops your call, your sense of call in the mundane. This is something that we need to understand. This is going to bring you to maturity if you can understand this. How does God develop our sense of call through the mundane? Okay, number one. I'm just going to give you three principles. One, God develops your faithfulness in the mundane. God develops your faithfulness in the mundane. Let me ask you a question. Does your job ever feel mundane? And I know a lot of y'all have the hagwon jobs, and you're like, no, it's so exciting every day. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of you do feel excited about it. Other, others feel like, man, can't wait till I go home. Can't wait till the week's over. Can't wait till the weekend. Can't wait till Friday fire. Hallelujah, something like that. <laughs> Does your job ever feel mundane? Hallelujah. Let me... Tell you something. 
Somebody else who felt the same way as you. Joseph. Joseph was a butler. He was a butler. That's what he was. He was Mr. Belvedere in Potiphar's house. Okay. Joseph was a butler. Every day, he had to set the table. Every day, he had to fold Potiphar's underwear. Whatever. You know, he had to do mundane things. Let me tell you somebody else who felt the mundane. Nehemiah. Every day, his job was... Uh, make sure that this cup is not poison. Okay, sure. Nehemiah, do you feel nauseous? No. Are you going to die? No. Okay, all clear. Give it to the king. He was a cupbearer. Okay, pretty boring job. I mean, the only thing that's exciting is that you might die. Uh, very mundane. Let me tell you, somebody else who felt mundane. David. Mad mundane. Except for the time where the lion tried to take away his sheep. And the, and the bear tried to take away a sheep. Except for those two days. Okay, the rest of his days, man, it was not like that. It was just like, man, stupid sheep. Man, they, they running off over there. and He was just so bored. He had to, he had to be writing all these songs out there because he was just so bored. It's mundane. He can, these three guys, they can relate to you. Brothers and sisters, many of us, we have a hard time seeing how the mundane fits with God's call for us. What does my job have to do with God's purpose for my life? And we start to distinguish in our minds. Oh, Pastor Christian, good for him. He's got that sacred call to ministry. That full-time ministry call. And me, I got a secular call. I just got to put the food on the table and pay the bills. And then once a year, I get to support the missionaries that go out. That's what my purpose is to make the money and send out the missionaries. Okay? And, we, and, we, and we think we separate sacred call and secular call. But brothers and sisters, this is a myth in the church. In the eyes of God, there is no such thing as a sacred and secular call. For every call from God is sacred. Hallelujah. Whether you are called to the pulpit or whether you're called to the kitchen. Whether you're raising up disciples or you're just raising your kids. Every call of God is sacred. And hallelujah, you know, when, we, when, we, when, we're, trying to, when we're trying to be faithful with our various settings and our calls, it's going to feel mundane. And, and, and it's in that mundane, it's so important for us to learn how to develop faithfulness. We got to learn how to be faithful with the small things, with the mundane things. You see, faithfulness for big things develops in the area of small things. Right, it says in the word of God, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Right, if you want to see, and I'm telling you right now, God's plans and purposes are grand, they're awesome, they're mighty. They are not mundane. But for God to get you there, you may have to get through the mundane. That's what I'm saying. Oh, don't, don't, make, me, don't make me out to be a preacher that's saying that your, your life, you know, has got to be ordinary. There's some people that have extraordinary calls and some people have ordinary calls. I don't believe that. I believe that every call from God is sacred and extraordinary. Whether it's in your industry of business, finance, running a hagwan, architecture, music, or ministry. Hallelujah. God's purposes are big. He blesses you to be a blessing to all nations. Hallelujah. But to get there, we've got to get through the mundane. See, God develops faithfulness for big things through faithfulness in small, mundane things. So how did God develop Joseph's faithfulness as the prime minister? Well, it was through the mundane, day-to-day faithfulness as a butler. God developed Nehemiah's faithfulness to rebuild the temple of God. Through assigning him the mundane task of cupbearer. 
God developed David's faithfulness to be king through the mundane assignment as a little shepherd boy. But as this is, God develops our sense of call for the mountain by training us in the valley. We must learn that God develops faithfulness through mundane assignments. Number two, look at verse 17 and 18. <coughs> Alright, she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Alright, this is something that she, it wasn't something that she was just doing that day. Alright, this is something mundane she had been doing for over and over and over again. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, just give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Alright, drink, my lord. Then she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Stop right there. Number two, God builds your character through mundane assignments. And this is two different things, faithfulness and character. God develops and builds your character through mundane assignments. You see, she says here, drink, my Lord. Okay. Notice that she did not say, hey, you're a man. Go get it yourself. The well's over there. Okay? She didn't. Rebecca demonstrated hospitality, which is an aspect of character. She didn't have to do that. She doesn't know who this guy is. But she went out of the way to do that. Right? Jesus said, if a man asks you to walk one mile, go with him too. That's character. Or so many of us want to just do the minimum. God, God calls us to love our neighbor, to go the distance. That's character. Rebecca had character. Now, how do we know? How do we know that she has character? Right? How do we know that this isn't just the customary thing for all women of that time to do? Right? You look, he could have gone up to any woman and she would have said, just drink, my Lord. How do we know that that's not the case? Let me tell you something about camels. Remember how many camels were there? There were 10 camels. A camel that goes a few days without water. Okay, and by the way, this journey took 20, over 21 days. A caravan of that many people, okay, with 10 camels would have taken about over 21 days. Okay, now, a camel that goes just a few days without water can drink as much as 25 gallons. Okay, for the metric people, 23.7 liters. I see how more even Gallons are anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> Twenty-three point seven liters. Okay, that that practically would have been one hundred drawings of that jar that she had. To feed just one camel. Feed just one camel. Now, we don't know if the servant, if the camels had gone straight a few days without water. But it was a long distance, so they probably ran out of water somewhere along the line. Uh, anyway, the camels were definitely hot. They were thirsty. Okay, not only were the men thirsty. I mean, why would the men be thirsty? Because they kind of ran around water, and they had to give the camels a little water, and then they all ran out of water soon, right? Anyway, they were thirsty. And so what the servant here is doing is he is intentionally selecting, okay, uh, uh, an extreme action to serve as a sign so that there will be no mistake of the woman that God had chosen. The servant chooses the sign that this most ordinary woman would not have done. Because not only does she say, drink my Lord. What else does she say? Okay. Look at, look at verse. Look at verse 19. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. Okay. My theory is maybe she only saw two camels. I don't know how it happened. But anyway, she ended up saying that. Until they have finished drinking. Okay. Now, some of us, we offer things, nice things to people sometimes as a nice gesture. Knowing that they probably won't make good on it. You know? Hey, man, I'll, I'll drive you home to Bundang. You know? Hey, uh, anyway, let me offer you a ride. And then the person says, oh, no, man, not to Bundang, man. It's so far. I just go home. I'll take the cab. Okay, and you're like, all right, thanks. All right, I, I offered, you know. We, we always offer things, right? But here, Rebecca's not just offering. 
She's not just offering something, right? Because what happens? Look at verse 20. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and went again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all ten of his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Look at verse 22. When the camels have finished drinking. Rebecca not only offered, she actually did it. It took her probably quite a few hours. But she drew and drew and drew until the camels had finished drinking. They were like... (laughs) Until she saw that, she kept on drawing water. Now, either Rebecca was really, really strong. Or she's got really, really good character. And the Bible does not tell us that Rebecca had veins bulging out of her arms and had the shoulders of a man. No, it doesn't say that. The Bible says she was very attractive in appearance. She she had very feminine features. She wasn't, you know, Miss Olympia. (coughs) The only explanation for why she actually went through with the whole thing was she had character. And where did God develop this character? Because we don't hear of Rebecca, you know, experiencing all these grand things. No. All we know about Rebecca is she was just going out to draw water just like she does every day. That's because God develops character through mundane assignments. Man, if y'all can just get this, it will bless so many of y'all. Because for the most of you, most of you are in the season of mundane assignments right now. Some of you are students. You are not particularly excited about your college studies. The intern pastors, you may not be excited about your seminary studies. But God's developing your character in that mundane assignment. Do you understand? Brothers and sisters, this is a word from the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me ask you again. Do you ever feel like your job, your studies, your ministry is mundane? You know, at times, right? In fact, you know, anything can get, really get mundane after a while. Anything. Except marriage, hallelujah. <laughs> marriage is always exciting and filled with joy and, and, and drama. and Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. <clears throat> you see, um, let me tell you a few examples from my life. Um, when I was back in New York, 2003, I got staff training with Campus Crusade. I was assigned, my first assignment was Columbia University. And I was there at Columbia University for two years. I gave my heart, soul, my body to Columbia. I was there like morning prayer. Okay, I had to leave the house at 6.15 in the morning to get to campus on time because there's so much New York traffic. Right? And I would be sitting in that traffic listening to Dr. Dobson or... Charles Stanley on the Christian radio, and, you know, I would, I would go in there, and I would just minister to those students. Over those two years, man, I, I saw a wonderful fruit, you know. And God, sometimes my ministry at Columbia, it felt mundane. You know, I would be there week in and week out, morning prayer, and uh, the morning prayer was not on fire, by the way, okay. When prayer meetings are on fire, man, it just, it's like riding a wave. It's like a surfer riding a wave. You, just, you can just glide. You know, you're smooth, right? But when a prayer meeting is not on fire, man, it's the hardest thing to do to have to lead those meetings and, and, and encourage others to lead the meetings, right? I mean, it's like, man, I know you don't like to lead the meetings. Why are you trying to make me lead the meetings, right? Man, it's the hardest thing. It feels really mundane. And when you go witnessing at Columbia University every single week, and you hear just the same typical postmodern answers, it feels mundane. But in that mundane assignment, right, I try to rejoice, try to stay faithful, and I knew that God was also developing my character. But through that assignment, you see, God heard of a guy named Dr. Park in Korea, heard about my faithfulness at Columbia. And he made a trip all the way from Korea to New York just to recruit me to come to Korea. See, and in the eyes of God, God assigned me Columbia University, which was exciting, by the way, but also got mundane. 
Through that mundane assignment, he was preparing my sense of call to come to Korea. Let me give you another example. Before I became the pastor of this church, for about a year and a half, I preached and led worship at almost every single Friday fire. Not everybody knows that. Okay. I mean, just, I would be like, Pastor Sam, do you want to preach this week? He'll be like, no, man, you're doing a great job. Great, great job. You just keep going. You know, and, and just, you know, and so I would preach almost every single week. And I would also lead worship every, almost every single week. I would also lead prayer almost every single week. And it was exciting in the beginning. Because, man, there were manifestations, signs, wonders, outpourings. It was exciting. But after a while, you know, those things, you know, they're not always there. And you just got to push through and keep praying. And it starts to feel mundane. But you know what? I try to stay faithful in that mundane assignment. You know why? Because God was preparing me to preach every single Sunday. He was preparing me in leadership to shepherd his church. Let me tell you one more story. I mean, rewind all the way back to my college years. When I was a sophomore at NYU, I was the leader of a prayer team called NYUPD. You know, kind of like NYPD, but it was a NYUPD. And the PD standed for prayer and drama. Okay. And, and Tox doesn't know this, but this was the first ever media team in KCCC, really. And back then, we didn't have video cameras and Apple computers with uh, nonlinear editing systems on there. So we would just do skits and drama. And then because that wasn't very popular, we would focus more on the prayer. <laughs> right? And so every week we would have a prayer meeting at Carlisle uh, Residence at NYU. And we would meet there and we would pray and pray. In the beginning, man, it was hard because the rest of the team members, they didn't know how to pray. But I was like, man... Shoot, forget this. I'm just going to pray, lead the way, and I'm just going to hope some people follow. And lo and behold, man, some of the other older brothers that were on the team, they were like, I'm not going to let this little chump stand me up. I'm going to learn how to pray. So some of those brothers, man, they, they really raised it up. And they started really praying, and then we, we were known as a team that prayed. But you know what? Even that leading that meeting was very mundane after a while. But little did I know that God through assigning me to leading those little prayer meetings as the NYUPD leader, will one day put me on a stage at Onuri to lead prayer at the Kingdom First prayer meeting. Do you see, brothers and sisters, I didn't get on that stage overnight. It happens through mundane assignments that God gives you. Hallelujah. And number three, How does God develop your sense of call through the mundane? Number one is it develops your uh, faithfulness. Two is develops your character. Three is some of you will find marriage in the mundane. Yeah, go ahead. Write that down. <laughs> I know a lot of you want to, right? Third is you will find marriage in the mundane. Okay. How did Rebecca stumble upon her husband? Right? Just through the mundane offering of a drink of water to a stranger. How did Ruth meet her Boaz? She was just gathering up wheat one day. And then Boaz saw her. Boaz was like, who's that little, who's that, who's that lady gathering up my wheat? Who is that? Hottie with the body. Hallelujah. No, no, no. I don't know what he said. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He was actually not the first, next kinsman, so he wouldn't have said that. Unless he had a wandering eye. I don't know. No, um, no, but how did Ruth meet her Boaz? Ruth met her Boaz while doing the mundane, in the mundane. Marriage in the mundane. Right? So, brothers and sisters, hallelujah. If you truly want to get married, know that God... If you will glorify God in the mundane, if you will be faithful with your mundane assignments, if you will allow God to develop that character when you're tested in those mundane assignments, if you would do that, you're going to find marriage in the mundane. Somebody believe that in here. Say amen. amen. (coughs) 
So praise the Lord. Now, God develops faithfulness, character, and some of you will even find marriage in the mundane. But the bigger topic we're talking about is God gives his people a strong sense of call through the mundane. Now, did Rebecca have a strong sense of call? She might have had faithfulness. She might have had character. And yes, she later on found marriage. But did she have a strong sense of call? Okay, well, look with me here. We're going to skip through a lot of the middle area because this is just the servant recounting the same story. Okay, skip through. Go all the way to verse 52. (coughs) Go to verse 53. No, go to verse 54. Let's start from verse 54. (laughs) And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, well, let the young man just remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go back to my master. I mean, he's got like over 21 days ahead of him. He wants to get back as soon as possible, right? And they said, well, let us call the young woman and ask her. Verse 58. And they called Rebecca and they said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Did Rebecca have a strong sense of call? Just look at those three words. I will go. Okay. Rebecca did not hesitate. Rebecca did not second guess it. Rebecca did not have doubts. Why? Because not because she was like, you know, just like erratic and like just reckless, you know, but because God was already speaking to her through the mundane. God had already developed a sense of call in her. So that when her family was like, don't you want to at least remain with us for 10 days? She was like, no, I'm so excited about the call of God. I'm ready to go now. now. I will go with these strangers who made me draw water for 10 camels. I'm going to pull a prank on them tonight too. I don't know, right? But she had a strong sense of call, right? And she said, I will go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God, right? And we don't have any other story about Rebecca's young life, right? Other than the fact that she just drew water in jars. That's all she did. That's all she did, right? We don't hear that she, you know, I can't think of any examples, right? She didn't have all these fantastic assignments and then this, she was just drawing water. Mother and sisters, you're going to be teaching English at your hagwan. And you're going to be teaching English at your hagwan. <laughs> uh, or you'll be, you'll be uh, not for the students. I'm not going to talk to the students about this. Hallelujah. You'll be uh, leading prayer at a prayer meeting. You'll be just doing something mundane. And then boom! God's call is going to break in. And you, you're going to have that sense of call. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, you know what? This is right on. I will go. You know, a lot of people who don't have a sense of call, when God calls them, what happens? They hesitate. They doubt. They, they go, well, um, uh, Pastor, I, you know what? When sometimes when, when I ask somebody, and I'm not foolproof. I'm not 100% foolproof. But I try to be discerning, right? So when I ask somebody to leadership, I'll be like, hey, Brother Roy, would you, would you like to serve in this r- r- capacity? Right? When I come up to you like that, right, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time I prayed it through. So I'm like, I'm taking Roy before the, the, the throne of God. I'm like, God, well, how, what you been doing in Roy's life? And then, boom, God would show me. I've been doing all this in the past months. Do you see it now? And I'd be like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I feel real good. I feel peace about asking Roy to this leadership position. And when I go to Roy, if Roy has a sense of call, I'd be like, Roy, would you like to serve in this capacity? Roy will say, I will go. But if Roy does not have a sense of call, he's been resisting God in many ways. If I ask him like that, he may say, oh, um, let me take two months to pray about it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right? You see how important a sense of call is before you actually discover the details of that call? Hallelujah. Let, let, let's read on. Let's, I'm going to finish it with this beautiful love story because that's what everyone seems to want to hear these days. Look at verse 59. <laughs> She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. 
And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may our, your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode the camels and followed the man. And thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Did you guys notice something here? Rebecca receives this blessing. And doesn't this blessing sound familiar? It sounds just like the blessing we heard about last week. In Genesis chapter 22. What was the, what was the blessing? May you possess the gate of your enemies. May you possess the gate of those who hate you. Man, I don't know what you, if y'all see this, but God is orchestrating a beautiful love story here. So that the blessing that's given to the groom will also be given to the bride. Can somebody say amen? amen. So that when they get together and Isaac starts saying, you know, I got this wonderful blessing on my life. God gave it to my father Abraham when one day he tried to kill me. What? He tried to kill you? Yeah, my dad, my dad crazy. He tried to kill me. He's dead, so he was going to do it too. And this angel came out of nowhere and was like, stop! Abraham, Abraham! And then I was like, oh, okay, thanks, thanks, angel. Uh, anyway, then there was a goat, and I, we, had, we had talked about lambs, but then there was just a goat. But then I, I don't know about that part. But anyway, yeah. And there's this wonderful blessing I've gotten, and it's to possess the gates of my enemies. And Rebecca's like, well, I'll be darned. Man, when I was saying peace out to my family, they said the same thing. That... That's a love story right there with the fingerprints of God on it. When you have stuff like that happening, you know that it's God. It's like Aaron and I. I when, when I asked her out and then we, 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 we dated for about two weeks and then because of uh, our parents weren't down with the idea, so we broke up for two months. But during that two months, it was, a, it was a testing time. But during those two months, what we discovered about each other was God had given her the same blessing God, God had given me. When I was coming to Korea, the verse I was holding on to was Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That was a verse I held on to as I left New York and came to Korea. Well, when she starts sharing her story of how she came to Korea, she says the same thing. When I was leaving New York, the verse that I was holding on to was Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be not on your... And I was like, you copycat! You looked at my Zanga entry! And she's like, ew. No, I have my own Zanga entry. Let me show you right now. And she showed me her Zanga entry. In 2005, I had a Zanga entry with Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. 2006, a year later, she had the same kind of entry with Proverbs 3. Five to six in there. When we, when we looked at that, we were like, whoa, this is not coincidence. Right? When God started to, when God delivered and healed her, and she, she came out of her uh, backslidden uh, days, and then she started to really live her life for God. A book study, that, uh, a workbook that God used to really bless her was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And she was getting so blessed by it. She would put all these little notes and then one day she came and brought it. She's like, oh, Pastor Sam, man, we've been in our house church. This is what we've been going over. And I'm like, you copycat! Because in my college days, that's the workbook that God used to speak to me the most. One of the things God spoke to me the most. I was so blessed by that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is the wonderful love story writer. Amen. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. When we think of the call of God, we think of grand, wonderful, mighty things. We think of signs, wonders, miracles. We think of divine appointments and, and, and we just think of all these wonderful, grand things. And we say, well, Jesus, the Son of God, the signs, wonders, and miracles. The apostles, they moved in signs and wonders. This is the call of God. But what am I doing right now? 
I'm just teaching little fourth graders that don't even understand what I'm saying. And I'm not even allowed to use Korean. Where is the call of God in my life? When we start to wonder that way, brothers and sisters, let us not forget what the apostles were doing before they moved in signs and wonders and miracles. They were fishing, collecting taxes. In fact, what did the Son of God do? What was he doing before God released him into the public ministry? When he started to move in signs, wonders, preaching, and teaching, and all these miracles. What did the Son of God, what did he do? He was fixing furniture. He was fixing furniture. He was a carpenter. And you know what? When we, when we have all these like statues of Jesus and paintings of Jesus, he's all skinny and, and, and like he's just like falling, he's just all skinny. Look, no, he wasn't. Look, he had muscle. He had to lift huge, heavy loads. He had to hammer furniture. Lots of it. He was muscular. I mean, when Jesus went into the temple and started overthrowing the tables, he was overthrowing tables. Man, how he's just, uh, we need to, we need to get, we, our, our, the men, we need to rethink w- what Jesus was as a man. He was a man. He was a real man. He knew how to use a hammer. He knew how to fix things. He was a real man. He wasn't just pushed around. Only reason he got pushed around because it was his time for him to get pushed around. But believe me, when he returns again, he won't be pushed around. The brothers and sisters, Jesus embraced the mundane. In fact, even after his public ministry began, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. You see, brothers and sisters, the beauty of the Christian life is to glorify God in the mundane. In the mundane, everyday aspects of life. We must establish God's authority, rule, and manifest His love, faith, in the mundane. And as God's people do that, as we rise up, as God's people do that, we're going to rise up in our, to our sense of call. And as we rise up into that sense of call, when God says go, we will say, I will go. And as we begin to go and we rise up into His call, one day we too will be united with our groom. Because if you read the rest of this chapter, Rebecca goes all the way down in that journey with all those camels. And from a distance, she sees Isaac. And from a distance, Isaac happened to be out there that day and he sees Rebecca. And they get united in a beautiful marriage. Brothers and sisters, when we rise up into God's call, we too are united with our groom in intimate ways that we otherwise would never know unless we complete his call for our lives. And the beautiful part is the blessing that was given to the groom is also given to the bride. Every blessing that was given to Christ, the groom, brothers and sisters, is also ours. The church, the bride. And in this way, this is beautiful marriage that we find in the mundane. Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we, uh, we just thank you so much. That God, you have amazing plans for our lives. Wonderful purposes, good, miraculous, amazing purposes, Father. But God, Lord, sometimes on our way there, we got to go through the valleys. We got to be faithful with mundane assignments. And Father, Lord, in those shadows and in those valleys where we begin to doubt and wonder how anything fits together with anything. God, may we remember those who have gone before us. May we remember... Joseph the butler and Nehemiah the cupbearer and David the shepherd and your son Jesus the carpenter. 
May we not despise the mundane assignments that you give to our lives. For in them we will find faithfulness, character, and some of us, marriage. So God, we just receive your word today. Bless your people today. That they will be a people with a sense of call. So that when you say go, they respond, I will go. May we live at that place of intimacy with you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.